Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. England are through to the last 16 of the World Cup, where they will face Senegal on Sunday. Goals from Marcus Rashford and Phil Foden did the trick as Gareth Southgate's side swept aside Wales in their final Group B encounter. Wales are eliminated following two defeats in three games as the United States joined England in the knockouts after beating Iran. To discuss England's latest results and their prospects in the tournament are Andy Dunn and John Cross, live from Doha, joining myself, Peter Staunton and Anita Abayomi on this episode of Football Digest. Another late one, guys. Um, didn't get back till 3am, I believe, um, as Andy has mentioned already. Um, good performance, John. Uh, answered a lot of questions, you would say, England uh, in their game last night. Yeah, they did. Um, it was um, a very frustrating first half, wasn't it? Um, when England really struggled to make headway and create chances and, and open up Wales's defence. Um, but really, a good tactical switch at half-time by, by Gareth Southgate. Blimey, this is the guy that's supposed to have no tactical nails. Um, I, I guess it wasn't rocket science, but basically switched um, Foden and Rashford over. Um, uh, Rashford came to the right, Foden on the left, and it paid such rich rewards, really. It was, um, you know, Foden's dribbling that basically earned a free kick over on the, on that uh, left-hand side and, you know, um, uh, gave Rashford the opportunity to score. And indeed, then Rashford over on England's right, playing such a big part in, in the second goal, um, which, which then saw Foden score at the back post. And, you know, it, it was those moments that just opened up the game for England and as soon as you felt that England scored, broke the deadlock, Wales was so poor. Let's be honest here, I do think next to Qatar, they've been the worst team at the World Cup. Absolutely shocking and um, really haven't, I don't know, justified the excitement and and the hype from the fans, I think, really. I mean, we know it's coming to an end um, uh, for Gareth Bale and, and Aaron Ramsey sort of in the veteran stages of their careers. But, you know, all the talk was supposedly about their passion and, and what they'll do and they'll raise the game. And they just didn't, in my view, and they just didn't threaten England at all. So it was almost like a bit of a training exercise, I have to say, at times for, for England, just to try and break down that 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 opposition defence. They've done it. They got through the group. And we shouldn't forget, it's nine goals scored, two conceded, Top scorers in the, in the World Cup. You've got uh, Marcus Rashford with three goals, joint with um, Mbappe um, et al. And it's just, you know, I think when you take that into that context, England should be really satisfied with their with their work so far. And it puts them in a good place, good state of mind before Senegal on Sunday, I think. It puts me in a good state and a state of mind. I'll tell you that for free. After the USA game, I didn't get to speak to you, but oh my gosh, I was just, I was one of those fans in panic galore. But like you said, um, Gareth Southgate made some changes to his squad and Andy, I'll come to you. The changes included Marcus Rashford and Phil Foden. Normally, I don't see Gareth Southgate listening to the critics and listening to fans who want, you know, different changes. And the loudest change was to build Phil Foden in. And how much of an impact did Foden and Marcus Rashford have in this game? Well, eventually, Anita, they had a, they had a big impact. But, you know, you have to say that they, they had very little impact in the first half. Um, John mentioned there them switching wings which coincided with them having more of an impact. That one run from Phil Foden that won the free kick that Marcus Rashford then converted um, very well. I mean, I would have to say that 
that if it was my goalkeeper, I'd be slightly disappointed that that he was a little bit out of position and didn't make more of a, a better fist of trying to save that free kick. But you know, that's being a, a, a bit a bit harsh, maybe. But no, initially they they didn't have a great impact. I mean, let, let's not forget that. And and I, I do I genuinely think that it wasn't so much Gareth sort of listening to to the the clamour for Phil Foden. I think that's probably the plan he had in mind anyway. You know, after Saka played so well in the first game, he was not going to replace him for the second game, and he's probably just thought that Raheem Sterling and Bukayo Saka needed a little bit of a break because no matter what they say, John's right when he says how poor Wales were and no matter what Gareth Southgate said, and he sort of bridled when we suggested he might rest one or two players. Some people thought he might even rest Harry Kane. Um, and he bridled that suggestion saying, listen, we haven't qualified yet. That's uh, that, that's like, you know, that's being too arrogant. But I think there was an element of him thinking, well, well, you know, I can afford at this standard, against this standard of opposition, I can afford... You know, I'm not losing much by bringing in Foden and Rashford for Saka and Sterling. And it worked out in the end. It did work out. Gareth Southgate in his press conference was, he, he wasn't as keen as, as as maybe the nation has been to, to, to jump onto the bandwagon of how brilliantly Foden and Rashford did. And of course, they did eventually. They scored the three goals between them. He was a pain to point out that it didn't quite work in the first half. And, you know, strangely enough, I think it had Rashford been say, replaced at halftime, there were probably very few people would have said, well, actually, you know what? You know, he didn't deserve to be taken off. But he grew into the game and he's got that confidence. And Foden, of course, I think Foden is more of a, should be more of an automatic choice than Marcus Rashford should. Because he showed even one moment in the first half um, when he had that chance that he put over the bar, he showed that he can be direct, he can cause trouble. And, and, and from that sense, it worked. So I think... He will find it harder now not to have Phil Foden in the team than he will to have Mark Rashford in the team. Yeah, um, John. To me, you know, anal- analyzing the England team from a from afar, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Southgate to keep Rashford in the team now as a result of his goals. Because I'm just looking through the top scorers chart. He's joined top scorer along with Mbappe and Gakpo, um, and he's averaging a goal about every half an hour at this World Cup. Now, is there an argument? I mean, am I showing my age here a little bit? But when you have somebody like a Skilacci, for example, who just catches fire at a World Cup, is there an argument just to keep him in the team because he's he's on that rich vein of form? He's got that confidence, and he could find himself in goals scoring positions more often than he would if he didn't have that confidence. Yeah, I think it's a big it's a big shout, isn't it, now? I think that the you know, if we talk about having a big depth of squad, um and you're gonna make changes, you're able to make changes, um, you know, swapping out two of your front three basically. Well, when they perform well, that gives you a major problem really, doesn't it? And it's that it's that dilemma. And look, I I do think Rashford, if he's on fire, if he's playing with real pace and, and a belief, um, then actually you, you you probably do take the full man. And I think, you, you you know, you could see that the difference that he made. Um, I do think the structure of the team also just gave the players a little bit more licence, didn't it? Because you had more kind of three, um, you know, midfielders there. Mount often sort of kind of pushes forward. And I just think having the three in midfield gave you a little bit more protection, um, Walker's pace of recovery also meant that basically you had a little bit more um, sort of cover in the fullback area at first. And I just think I like the balance of the team. And look, you know, Rashford has just made such a compelling case. 
Um, look, let's be honest here. I think people overlook the fact that Bukayo Saka is England's player of the year, has basically always, you know, delivered and, and played well and, you know, done consistently well. So what are we talking about here? I think we're talking about Rashford basically pushing um, uh, more than anyone else, Raheem Sterling. And Raheem Sterling under Gareth Southgate has been a pretty undroppable force because no matter what he's doing at club level, Gareth Southgate trusts him so much because he's delivered, for example, in the Euros, you know, delivered on big occasions in the past. And I just think he's become a, such a such a big player and key player for him. I do think it's almost Rashford v Sterling for that place on, on Sunday. And I think if you ask the fans right now, they'd probably go Rashford simply because I just think the man in possession, the man in form, the man with confidence and belief, it, you know, he's going to take some shifting out of that team, I think. Yeah, that's actually so true. And let's not forget Rashford's journey back into the squad as well. So he hasn't played for England in for over a year. Mr. Penalty at the Euros, not scored any not scored since before the Euros, and lost his place at Man United. Andy, this Rashford redemption, I like that little bit of alliteration. Rashford redemption is now back on. And can we see him carrying on this form further beyond our car my the guy? Well, yes, you can, purely for the fact that it's confidence. You know, again, if you actually look at the two goals last night, um, and bear in mind, he missed probably the best chance of the first half um, against Wales. Um, if you look at the two goals, again, he did hit the free kick well. I would have expected a world-class keeper to save that free kick. And then, of course, he, you know, the second goal went in through off Danny um, Ward's legs as well. Um, uh, so that was... Also, you know, an element of fortune to it. But he's full of confidence. I mean, he, he really is. Um, and he did well when he came on um, in the first game. Um, so, yes, there's no reason to believe, as Peter referenced, you know, you can just get players who just have a purple patch, you, you know, at a World Cup. It can happen. Um, so there's no reason to believe that, that, that it won't continue. And, of course, he offers you what is invaluable in a modern game, and that's pace. You know, he, he's got the pace... In conditions that are quite trying for the players, he offers you that pace. So yes, I mean, I, mean, I, I absolutely need to. There's no reason at all that he can't um, carry it on. Just it'll just be fascinating to see, as we've been discussing, whether or not actually Gareth Southgate. Because bear in mind, Sterling is a favourite of Southgate's. But Kaiusaka, as John again referenced, has done nothing wrong at all. So it, it, it's his it, it, essentially what you've got, isn't it? So let, let, let's put. Sterling, we assume that, well, we know that Harry Kane is undroppable, um, although obviously he's yet to score in three games and England have scored nine goals. I think you'd have got good odds at a bookmaker if you'd have said, guess what? England have scored nine goals after three games and Harry Kane hasn't scored and he's played in every game. So, but really, he is undroppable. So basically what you've got is, is for the front three and whichever formation he picks, there will be a front three. Um, it, it's a question of it, it's basically per many two from four, isn't it? I mean, it's per many two from four. It's it's Saka, it's Foden, it's Sterling, it's Rashford. Per many two from four, a Bobby Charlton perm, as we used to call it. It really shows that Southgate is managing for a tournament. Uh, the fact that he can switch players in and out, especially in those forward positions. But one question I wanted to ask you, John, was that I've seen some analysis this morning that England let the handbrake off last night, and finally they're playing attacking football. Does it feel like that or was it just a case of Wales, as you mentioned earlier on, being so bad? Like, did England really play that differently last night than they have done in, in 
against the United States, for example, the other night? Not really, but I mean, it's become almost a bit of a cliche, isn't it? Me and Andy were laughing before about kind of, you know, handbrake quickly has become the most overused, sort of almost cliched, ridiculous word in, in football right now. Here's another one I'm going to chuck at you, uh, noise. And it's basically the outside noise. People in football talk about this noise thing. I don't know what noise is, but it really annoys me then when basically journalists start using it in questions and start talking about it. Oh, do, do, do me a favour. It's a bit like narrative of a couple of years ago. Everyone talks about noise and the kind of noise surrounding Phil Foden. Honestly, please, it's, we're going to get a swear box if anyone uses the word noise in front of me. Because, uh, look, I... Yeah, but no, I was, I'm just joking. Sorry, I was going to ask you a little bit about, about that noise, as it were. You're closer to the team than than we are, obviously, um, close to the camp. You know, how hard is it for those guys to switch off and to block out the, the noise, as it were? Um, are they aware of what's been said about particular players, for example, their form? Um, or are they very, very able to sort of hermetically seal themselves within that camp and, and not get too distracted by what's been said on the outside? They will tell you that they basically shut themselves down and they're in a bunker and they don't look at the outside world. That is just complete and utter nonsense. Um, basically, I do think they care very much about what is written and said and the feedback from home. That's going to have a positive effect and a negative effect because honestly, the you know the positive is that basically there's a feel good factor and there's a momentum which I think you know provides a positive vibe and can carry them forward. Really, um, but I do, uh, you know, I think that the um, I, I, I feel as if that 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 kind of feel good factor was so important during the Euros, and indeed, you know, the clips that we saw from uh, while we were in Russia in 2018, you know, the the, the country gets excited, and, and there's a feel good factor, and they've embraced that. And I just think that the uh, you know, the, I think the players will sort of overcome. Um, any sort of kind of negativity and, and, and sort of get back to, to what they are. Going back to the original point about style of play, I just feel as if the the United the Iran game, everything came off, basically. United States, they did try and approach it in the same way. There was a, a few players off form, didn't work out, particularly the wide forwards, you know, Saka and Sterling, maybe look jaded, didn't work out for them. But last night, again, first 45 minutes, you know, it was frustrating. It was a throwback to the United States. Well, they didn't change dramatically their approach. So I don't think there's a, you know, it's about releasing the handbrake, as people say now. It's just it's just about having the same approach and getting it right and everything coming off. And it's always going to be about the first goal, I thought, against Wales. And as soon as the first goal goes in, then everything changes. They can relax. Wales are never going to score in a month of Sundays. They could still be playing now on Wales probably wouldn't be breaking into the penalty area, let alone having a shot on target. They were that poor. And and basically England, it was just about scoring that first goal, opening it up, and I, I think getting the getting the job done. Again, I think it's a bit about England needing a bit more confidence and flow and belief. And you could see that it, if it was a bit stilted against Iran in the opening stages, as, as soon as the first goal goes in, they get a bit of a goal rush and everything flows. Exactly the same against Wales in the second half, and I don't think it is a sort of a you know new approach based on last night. I don't think it's about releasing the handbrake. I just think sometimes you just need that moment to unlock the game, and when England do that, they begin to play nice football and begin to play well. They get their better sort of kind of technicians on the pitch, and everything comes off. 
look, I think you're probably both going to hate me for this, but we've scored, what did we say, nine goals, right? And Harry Kane has not been on the receiving end of any of those. He's had three assists this tournament, which is great. Um, but he's our striker. And for me, I do keep wondering, is it going to take a while for Harry Kane to kind of get get that all-important goal for his self-confidence and for the team as well? And is there a point where Gareth Southgate does drop him and, you know, maybe start Callum Mills? And Andy, I'll come to you because I feel like Andy's probably going to give me the realest answer here. But he hasn't been scoring. What can Gareth Southgate drop him the same way he dropped Sterling and Bakayo Saka and try something different? Uh, no. I mean, it's, it is just a simple no. He, he won't drop him. If he's fit, he plays. I mean, that's just absolutely indisputable. That there is, you know, listen, it, it's quite a long build-up now until England's next game on Sunday night in the Albate Stadium against Senegal. It's quite a long build-up. And I can guarantee you during that build-up, there will be a discussion, wherever it may be. I mean, we're probably having it, we're having it now. On and there will be people out there who say, "Well, actually, no, you can drop Harry Kane. You can't." I mean, I mean, there the really isn't. I mean, there really is. For a start off, I mean, one, he's been brilliant for England, obviously. I mean, you know, throughout his career. Two, he's actually played quite well in most of the games. He certainly played well in the first game. He certainly played okay last night. Um, no one played particularly well against the US. Um, three, he's the captain. Um, and four, I'm not being funny, but there. Are, it, is there really an alternative? Is there really an alternative in the system that Gareth Southgate plays when he wants that 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 central striker of the three to link up play? You know, Callum Wilson offers something different when he comes on from the bench. Um, you know, so so that is, but there's not really an option. And, and and actually going back, that's probably one of the arguments why Rashford might be ahead is because Kane brings in these players. And maybe Rashford is a is a bigger goal threat, say at the moment, than say Sterling is. That's why he might have the nod ahead of that because he what and Phil Foden is a goal threat. I mean, that's one of the most underrated elements of his game. He knows where the goal is. I mean, like you know, he's known that since he scored two in the final of the under seventeen World Cup for England. He knows he's a great finisher for Foden, a cool finisher. So you've got goals, you know, you've got goals across that front three, and it will come for Kane eventually. But no, he's such an integral part of that team in every single sense. The captain, the sort of what you might call a sort of forward pivot type figure who links play. I mean, you saw, you know, he's got three assists and really he probably should have had another one last night when he played that fantastic pass through to Marcus Rashford in the first half. And to be fair to Ward, we've given him some stick. I've given him some stick. He made a very good save on that occasion. Um, so knowing it is, is the answer. Yes, I'm sure there will be a debate even before this game um, against Wales, there were people of, of the people of the standing of. I think I'm right in saying probably Alan Shearer was one of them, was it, John? I think who, who actually turned around and said, like, you know, maybe uh, Kay. And, and when and when and when this is put to Southgate, I mean, you only have to be in the room here in Doha when that sort of thing is put to him, and not necessarily listen to his answer, but just look at his demeanour when that's suggested to him. It's almost as though. Really, do you really think that I'm going to drop Harry Kane? As he says, he said it before the second game when there was worries about his, um, he'd had a scan, and but he was fit. And then in the main press conference here, someone suggested that, and he says, listen, it would be a brave, brave man who drops Harry Kane from a starting lineup. 
And it basically it'd be a bit of a daft man as well, I think. Well, you know, we had Stefan Guivash in 1998 and we had uh, Olivier Giroud in, in 2018 who, who both led the line and won the World Cup for their countries without actually scoring a goal in the tournament. So maybe Harry Kane uh, might emulate those two. Giroud's a, a great footballer. I'm not sure where Guivash ended up, but he could emulate those two uh, World Cup legends in their own right. Um, I wanted, I know you, you've mentioned Danny Ward and we've spoken a little bit about um other individual Welsh players. But John, I just wanted to ask you for, for a word on Wales. You know, you wait, what was it, 64 years to, to qualify for a World Cup. You end up scoring one goal, which is a penalty kick. Uh, not really, you know, giving the fans anything to write home about. Overall, a very, very disappointing campaign from Wales uh, from a collective perspective and also uh, individually with with their, you know, their all-time greats, Bale, Ramsey, Joe Allen, guys like this. Um, really a washout of a campaign. Yeah, as we were leaving the ground last night, I was just talking to a colleague who'd sort of um, been in sort of the, I think the Flash TV interview um, with, with, with Paige and basically um, he'd said something along the lines of, you know, if there's a way to go out of the World Cup, then that was it. And he, you know, that was met with, you know, utter disbelief because frankly, I don't think that was the way to go out. Quite the opposite. I just didn't think they did themselves justice throughout the tournament. I thought they were so poor in the first half against the United States. Um, we covered a bit, you know, a bit better and played better in the second half. Obviously, got a draw against the United States, and then that's you know, and then that's fine basically. And then the second game, they were well beaten by Iran. You know, lucky it wasn't more, frankly. And then it was. It was pretty lame against England, and you know I referred to it earlier. But we, we, you know, we keep on hearing about this Welsh passion and how it would be a leveller, how it would be a derby and a cup tie. Well, frankly, they didn't produce a level of performance, and I actually didn't see much, you know, of that passion lifting the performance either. I thought they were really poor, and you know, hugely disappointing. And to wait so long and get there and then not do themselves justice on that. As I say, I do think, apart from Qatar, the hosts, who, who frankly, we shouldn't forget, actually, have, have underperformed badly. And, um, and and frankly, they're, you know, some results um, that sort of, you know, inflated their sort of world uh, ranking. Apart from them, they, you know, have just been the worst team at the tournament. Frankly, and I think they've let themselves down. You know, you see the passion from from the Welsh fans, and and they're loving it. And you know, I see, you know, one of my BBC colleagues, um, sort of journalistic colleagues, um, Rob Phillips, basically sort of kind of tweeting at length this morning, saying, "Oh, Paige deserves so much credit for for getting Wales there in the first place. So don't be too harsh on him." Well, I have to say, I'd be disappointed if I was a Welsh fan, basically going all that way and then not seeing seeing the team effectively turn up because it does leave you whatever Bale and Ram do now even if they carry on this team is at an end and they're basically you're trying to look to the likes of Nico Williams or Brennan Johnson as the future but for me you know they're good sort of individual talents but are they the world-class talents you know that they've had to lift them in the last 10 or 15 years absolutely not and I think this takes you back to you know sort of the early noughties if you like and the sort of kind of in the Mark Hughes time and then basically when they, they just weren't competitive, they weren't getting to tournaments, they weren't able to kind of, you know, get out of qualifying groups. Sorry, I don't think the future is particularly bright for, for Wales under Rob Page right now. 
That is such a morbid message to send to all of our Welsh fans listening. <laughs> He's been called a sorry at the end, but you know, basically, if you're a Welsh fan, apologies for your future. <laughs> Coming from John Cross, not me, just saying, just saying. But England do face Senegal, and as much as I enjoyed Senegal's campaign, you know, coming back from that loss against Netherlands, beating Qatar, which clearly wasn't too hard to do, but beating Qatar, also beating Ecuador um, a couple of days ago as well, it just seems like they could be a threat to England. Now, Andy, I'll come to you. Do you see this team potentially knocking England out of this knocking out of this competition at this stage or is it kind of a clear route to the quarterfinal? Because a lot of people are underestimating this Senegalese team. Should we actually be worried? Well, I wouldn't say worried. It's the wrong word. We should be incredibly respectful and England will be. You know, and they'll be incredibly diligent in the way they go about it. You know, there's, I mean, I watched most of that game last night um, while we were waiting for England's games kick off. And I thought they were very, very good, you know, and a very, very talented team, even even, even without, you know, their, their obvious um, their superstar in Sadio Mane. They've got plenty of players, players with which Premier League fans are familiar. They are a good team um, and a really good footballing team. You know, let's not get carried away with anything else. They are a really good footballing team. England will be favourites and it will be a question of, you know, Gareth Southgate, again, just going back to his um, his press conference late um, um, at the stadium last night, you know, he admitted, he said, listen, we, we, we will go in as favourites. And that is actually something, he said, that we will have to deal with as the coaching staff. We will have to deal with, um, you know, going in um, and guarding against the idea that, that, that you know, it, it should be, well, not easy for England because, of course, it, well, it's the last 16 of the World Cup, you know, for goodness sake, it's, not, it's, it's never going to be easy. But that is that that is the expectation now is that England will beat Senegal. People are already looking forward and saying, well, how are we going to do against France in the quarterfinal? Um, and clearly, you know, they're a very good team. I, did, I didn't think they played that poorly against the Netherlands, um, took care of Qatar. And, yeah, it will be the one thing I... The one, just one thing. I mean, just a very small thing. Watching that game um, last night, um, the Ecuador Senegal game in the media centre. The one thing I thought was that it was such a an emotional game, you know, and and, and such a um, such a such, such emotional psychological stress towards the end of that game. You saw what it meant to Senegal. You know, it had. What I'm trying to say is that game had the jeopardy that Wales versus England didn't have. It had that, you know, and I just wonder, you know, you saw the reaction of the Senegalese players, you saw the reaction of their coaches staff, you saw what it meant to the, I don't know you saw the pictures on social media back home in Senegal, and you just sometimes wonder whether or not, like, you know, that was, whether that will take anything out of them, whether or not, you know, subconsciously, that will sort of, um, sort of drain them a little bit. I don't know, it's only a small thing, but I just think England's passage has been, it's been far smoother, far less emotional, far less a roller coaster of a ride. And I just think that. But listen, they're, they're a very, very good team. Every team's good at, at, at the last 16. Are England favourites? Yes. Do I expect England to win? I do, but probably narrowly. Yeah, um, certainly have a head of steam, Senegal. Uh, you know, after winning the the, the Afcon and then uh, eliminating Egypt, uh, very fancied Egypt side uh, to get to the World Cup, and then John uh, narrowly overcoming uh, Ecuador. Uh, in the second half yesterday to, um, you know, to give themselves a place uh, in the last 16. Um, I just wonder, 
you know, how how England are going to play this game? Because, you know, we have seen them play matches where they like to sit, play with a back three and sit off and let the other team have the ball and hit on the break. And then we've seen games like the Wales game, for example, where it's all in the opposition half, looking for those gaps, looking for those chances, probe, probe, probe. From what you've seen of Senegal, do you think England are going to be the team on the ball or the team without the ball for the most part? No, I think they'd they'd like to be the team on the ball and have the majority of possession. I think that maybe Senegal being sort of kind of slightly dictated to by sort of missing players, particularly obviously Mane. But basically, I do feel that they their structure is their is their defence really, and they basically do do defend resolutely. I think they'll almost invite England onto them. Listen, listen I have seen. I did watch that game last night and did see see one of their previous games as well and I just feel as if um, I, I felt actually going into into the game I thought oh I wonder you know I, I, out of those three teams that w- went into the melting pot of the other group you had Senegal Holland and Ecuador I thought oh I'd quite like to avoid Ecuador <laughs> just because I thought they were really sharp and and, and, and looked you know, energetic and sort of, you know, full of ideas. And then, you know, you see the way the group finishes and, you know, everything sort of changes. So what I'm saying is that basically, I guess everything's almost very unpredictable. But I just felt as if looking at Senegal, that they were so strong defensively. And I think they were incredibly well organised. I think in an incredibly patronising way that that's basically something that we don't always give credit um, for African teams for doing. And I just feel as if, you know, they'll come at it from a very, very well-organised point of view, make it difficult for England. We shouldn't underestimate, I don't think, the conditions. Um, it's the same for both sides, clearly. But I think that England struggled in the stifling um, conditions and sort of temperature and humidity um, pitch side in the Albright Stadium um, uh, what, against the United States on Friday night. That's where they'll be now for the rest of the tournament as long as they stay in it. Um, and, and, you know, albeit a late kickoff, I do think those sort of kind of factors play into it. But I think England, you know, why that's relevant is if England want to be the possession team and kind of have the ball and basically you know, they will almost have to kind of, you know, make things happen. And, you know, it's always sort of kind of assumed that the defensive team sort of stand off and have to work that much harder to get the ball back. Well, I don't think that's necessarily the the case, really. And I just think England probably do have a better squad, probably have an all-round better collective of players. But I just, I do think rather like Andy, I think, you know, it'd be so dangerous to kind of think that this would be anything other than, incredibly tough it reminds me of the, I really feel it's so similar to the approach um, that we had towards the Columbia game in the, the last 16 England get through that right and basically you know they were the dominant team they were a better team but it was it, you know ended up in a penalty shootout and you sort of kind of biting your fingernails and kind of it was such a nervous tense occasion just because also I think it's not just about playing the opposition it's sometimes about playing the occasion and England have to be absolutely right and on it, I think, to get past this, this this game. Because honestly, for miles out, we've been thinking it's probably likely to be Senegal. And I remember, I think, having a chat with Andy and we were both in agreement saying this is a 50. If we get Senegal in the last 16, it's a 50-50 game. Because honestly, give them credit because they're a really good team, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, absolutely. Uh, guys, we're just going to park the World chat, World Cup chat there um, as we move into the last couple of minutes uh, because I just wanted to uh, bring to the attention uh, of our viewers and our listeners the uh, fans footballer of the year vote. So who's been the best footballer in England this year? Uh, our journalists have whittled it down to a nine-person shortlist and now we need you to vote for the fans footballer of the year. And once you have voted, uh, you can sign up for the latest updates and that's all available uh, on the Mirror website uh, if you just have a search of fans footballer of the year so just briefly uh, John and Andy I wanted to ask you guys for your opinion on on one or two uh, of the nominees I'll give them give you the short list here I and mean, you too Anita uh, and you can tell me uh, what your quick instinct is saying for who you think should have this uh, 2022 uh, Footballer of the Year award so we've got Kevin De Bruyne Bruno Guimaraes Erling Haaland Harry Kane James Madison Beth Mead Bukayo Saka Mohamed Salah and Son Hyung Men. So, off the top of your head, Andy, out of out of that lot, um, who are you who are you going to pitch for? The strange thing is, Peter, for what for what how he's performed in this World Cup so far, you wouldn't even dream of voting for him. But Kevin De Bruyne for me, um, only because he, he's a player that you know what I've watched him so many times in 2022. I've covered so many of his games live, seen him in the flesh live so many times. He never ever has failed to disappoint me. He's produced in every single game I've watched him up until this World Cup, but he's been sensational for the entire 2022. De Bruyne for me by some distance. Coming to you, John, for um, uh, for for your fans, Footballer of the Year, who who, who you might um, become an advocate for. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna look at my uh, phone here, check the date because it's Wednesday, November 30th. And we've still got, what, 18 days before the end of the World Cup. It's like one of those kind of end-of-season end player awards. In my mind, at this point in time, it's not even a debate. There can only possibly be one winner, and that's Beth Mead. She basically, she was the star of the show as England, you know, the Lionesses won the, the Euros last summer. It's not even a debate. You know, basically, it's, it, there might, we might be talking differently if you're judging it, you know, um, but I, ju I just feel as if, you know, that, 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 that's the way forward. International football clearly has an impact. Uh, of course it does, I think, basically on, on club football and the way we regard the club, club players. So, you know, we might be having a different conversation in just over two weeks' time when, when you know, um, when we have it. But actually, Erling Haaland would be a pretty good shout, strong shout. But I'd probably go, you know, in from the men's game. I think they'd sort of kind of go Kevin De Bruyne. But for me, overall, Beth Mead at this point in time. And of course, we wish Beth all the best as she's uh, recovering from from uh, from that long-term injury and hope to see her back, uh, certainly for the World Cup uh, next summer. Uh, Anita, uh, from that loss, are you going to are you going to agree with John? I know you're a big advocate for the women's game. Uh, Beth or somebody else? Mm, it's so hard. It's for me. There's three winners in there. There's Erling Haaland, De Bruyne, and Bethany. That is, it's, it's actually crazy. So for for a balance, I'll say Erling Haaland. But each and every one of them deserve Player of the Year. I won't lie to you. I'm just gonna leave it up to whoever's listening to make sure they go and vote for whoever they think it is because I have a case for every single one of them. And it's it's so crazy how good all those three players have been this season. So for me, it's between those three. And just for balance of this pod, I'm going to say Erling Haaland. But yeah, John's right. Beth Mead is a huge shout. So yeah, Erling Haaland for me. Okay, uh, thanks very much. Um, I really appreciate your input. <laughs> and of course, what if you... What about you? What about you? Who's yours? 
from uh, from me from that lot, I mean, uh, hurling has had an unbelievable uh, start to life in the Premier League. But I'm, you know, I'm not sure that counts for much at this stage. You know, I like to go from you know maybe some honours from last season. I don't know. I'm I'm going to go with De Bruyne. I'd like to see him, you know, sort of pick up his form in the last group stage game here against Croatia. I think it's tomorrow, um, and get Belgium over the line in the groups because uh, I think that could really be the defining moment of his year um, if if Belgium go out at this stage of the tournament. So I'd like to see him pull his socks up and and uh, you know ex- show a better attitude really and like he does at Man City and 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 uh, bring Belgium forward. Um, that's what I'd like to see. Uh, anyway, we're out of time here, guys. Um, so Andy and John have got plenty of work to do and you can catch up uh, with everything that these guys are producing uh, online or in print, uh, on the Mirror website, uh, on across all our socials. Uh, so please... Uh, like this, comment on this, share this um, from wherever you get your podcast from, wherever you watch, wherever you listen. So I want to thank uh, Andy Don, John Cross, Anita Abayomi, and uh, we will be back after the Senegal game, hopefully celebrating um, what is another England victory and uh, a, a place in the quarterfinals. So um, thanks everybody for joining us this morning, and uh, we hope you have a good day. Hold up. 